Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. My name's Lewis Daniels and my guest today is kidney transplant recipient and transplant Team GB table tennis and badminton player, climber and co-host of the professional patients podcast, Ollie Crawley. Ollie chats to me about his lifelong experience of kidney problems, including having a transplant at the age of eight and his time at school, as well as how he found his passion for sport and how it feels to become a world champion. You'll also find out more about the professional patients podcast, a fantastic podcast that Ollie co-hosts. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you press subscribe or follow wherever you normally listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. He is one half of the Professional Patients podcast. Ollie Crawley, welcome to Transpat's Take on Sport. <laughs> I love that. That's such a better intro than I'm used to. Thank you. <laughs> oh. uh, it's good to have you on. As I've said there, you're, you're a podcast host as well, but it's the, the first of a few crossovers. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll go through everything from your transplant story, your sports, you're well involved with the transplant games. We'll start on your kidneys transplant story. When did you first find out that you had kidney problems? And from listening to you a bit, how aware were you of it at the time? <laughs> uh, do you want me to start from the beginning? Like right back in the good old days of being pushed out and then three weeks later go for it <laughs> yeah sorted all right well um I felt well my parents first realized when I was three weeks old uh little potato me was just there crying didn't uh didn't urinate for three weeks what well, I did but not as much and my kidneys burst basically which was lovely um and then very long boring story cut short uh eight years later in September 2004 my good old mum went here, catch, lobbed me her kidney, and I had a kidney transplant in September 2004. So <laughs> here we are in 2021. What, that's what, talking what about mums it. Are for. <laughs> so your kidneys burst. Did you, as a young a young child, did you know much about that? Um, kinda, not really. It, so to me, so the way I like I I describe it is I don't really know. I don't know any different. I don't know what it's like to be healthy. <laughs> I know that sounds dramatic. I don't mean it to sound as dramatic as that. But like, obviously, I've grown up in hospital environment. I've grown up not knowing any different to 
having renal failure and urological issues and all that kind of stuff. So when I was growing up, it was always explained to me, but it was never a big thing to me because I just kind of assumed, oh, everyone's kidney bursts at three weeks old until I was old enough to understand where, no, most people's kidneys don't burst at three weeks old. They, in fact, have two kidneys and they just work. Um, yeah, like growing up, it was always explained to me. My parents explained it to me. The doctors and nurses were really good. It was like a near constant, yeah, don't worry, we'll get you fixed up eventually. Just shut up and keep getting on with life. <laughs> but yeah, all good fun. Do you know what caused it to burst? Um, oh, you're going to make me pronounce something. I'm gonna, so I'm going to shorten it to PU valves, which is basically the tubing that links the bladder to the kidney was blocked. So the urine coming from the kidney going into the bladder wasn't able to get to the bladder for little old potato me to piss out. Uh, it was backtracking back into the kidney, which eventually, understandably, burst like a balloon, like a water balloon, basically. You put too much water in it, they're going to burst. <laughs> Except it was my kidneys. So, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound nice. And so young as well. And, gro- and as, as you said, growing up with kidney failure, not really knowing much different. What was it like to go through school with kidney problems? Weird. Looking back, it was weird. At the point in time, I remember it. So I remember really from about six years old. I don't really remember much before that. I think that's normal for people, to be honest. But for me, I remember from about six, seven years old. So growing up with uh, renal failure, I luckily never had to dialyze. I was just on the border at all times of having to dialyze. But the medication I was on kind of kept me going. Um, but for the first eight years of my life, due to having major renal failure, I yeah, I didn't have work. I only had really a quarter of a working kidney back then. Um, I was clinically anorexic. I couldn't eat. I wanted to eat, but I my body just couldn't deal with eating. So the weirdest part for me was lunch times in school, because uh, and like little breaks in primary school and nursery, because everyone else would be having their lunch and I'll be sitting there like. Oh, that looks nice. <laughs> iron up everyone's food, being that weird kid, iron up everyone's food and just not having any food myself just because I physically couldn't eat. Like, I'd, I'd try. I won't go into all the details, but I couldn't keep food in me, let's say. It was like out of the exorcist. It went everywhere. Right. Um, but yeah, so I had a feeding tube, uh, which was very visible back in the day. It was a feeding tube that went up my nostrils, one or the other, uh, and attached to my cheek. Um, and that was basically all my meds slash food, which was also my meds, was stuck in through the feeding tube. And then, yeah, so like a lot of school, a lot of my early days in school, especially primary school, I remember quite clearly trying my best to explain something that I understood, but I didn't understand how to explain to others, if that makes sense. Because obviously at that age, you don't really know what a kidney is. (laughs) Most people don't, which is fair enough. So it was a bit (laughs) difficult to explain to people, you know, I don't have a working kidney. I can't eat due to my hormone imbalance and et cetera, et cetera. So I would just say, I'm unwell waiting for surgery. It is what it is. Um, I'm very stubborn. So I know it didn't stop me trying to compete in sports. Uh, I probably gave my parents a couple of heart attacks because of that. But <laughs> I'd be playing football as best I could <laughs> on the on the playing fields. I'd be playing uh, pat ball, all the normal good old primary school games you'd play. Played a lot of hockey growing up. And then, yeah, had my transplant and lived my second life, basically, after my transplant. You've talked about the the feeding tube and school time on your Mm. podcast. Uh, There's an episode on school and careers and all that sort of thing. Yeah. How did the other kids at the school sort of 
deal with you and your your feeding tube and get accustomed to it? Um, I was quite lucky. Like we're in my friendship group, they were very good at looking past the feeding tube and seeing me as a person. Uh, and apparently they liked what they saw. Uh, they liked my weirdness. So <laughs> it was all good. But it was very much, um, yeah, we were kids back then. It was very much like, okay, if a kid doesn't understand something, they might be a bit frightened of it or they're going to be very interested in it and try and tug at it. So it was pulled out. My feeding tube was pulled out a lot back in the old school days. My mum would get a phone call a lot of like, you need to come into school and stick it back in him kind of thing. My mum back then was a fully qualified trained midwife, so she knew how to do it. Hospital gave her permission to do it. Um, so there were a lot of like lunch times for me cut short because I'd have to go to the little medic room and have my feeding tube put back in because someone in football grabbed my feeding tube instead of me and yanked it out kind of thing. So yeah, <laughs> dealt with a lot, dealt that with a lot. Um, it came out a lot because it got caught on doors. Like, I don't know if you had it in your primary school, but we had those big old heavy doors and I remember really clearly they'd slam really quickly behind me. Yeah. And like my feeding tube would get caught and it would imagine like your earphones getting caught on a door and you get that annoying tug. That, but you've got a tube being torn out of your nose, which is in your stomach and coming back out. Oh. Like, um But because I didn't know any different, it wasn't that big a thing. I remember one time I was getting really excited because I was like playing Kiss Chase with a lass. Good old Kiss Chase, the good old days <laughs> with a lass. And she was chasing me and my feeding tube got torn out and like casually as anything like as casual as we're having this chat now I went to the teacher was like oh yeah um, I need you to either ring a paramedic or I need you to ring my mum because my feeding tube is currently somewhere back there um and I'm due medication in five minutes <laughs> and the teacher just freaking out didn't know what to do bless her I was just like no don't worry like just just make the call <laughs> little eight-year-old me telling a fully grown teacher what to do <laughs> It was, <laughs> that was game was over for your little chasing. Oh, 100%. Never saw the girl again. <laughs> <laughs> was the feeding tube in right up until you tried to spot? Uh, no, so it was... This is going from memory, so I might have some bits wrong, so I apologise, but from memory, it's almost like I should have made notes before I recorded. <laughs> but no, I'm not organised like <laughs> you. So. Um, so from memory, I had it from three weeks old to about six, seven years old. And then after that, I had what I call milkshakes, which were not milkshakes. They were the grimmest thing you can imagine. They were disgusting. Um, they were like some big, thick, gloopy crap soup thing, basically. <laughs> um, and it was horrible. Um, and that would basically be every meal time plus some I'd have to drink one of those 500 mils minimum of those through a straw getting down me um and we stopped having to do the feeding tube because basically my nostrils and my entire throat was just started closing up uh couldn't deal with having the feeding tube in for many different reasons like still to this day my left nostril is a lot more closed up than my right because the feeding tube will always go into my left nostril um so yeah, cool fact for you, because uh, I'm sure you wanted to know that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I for two years I had what they call what we call milkshakes. I don't know the official term of that, sorry, but I just know they were just to this day 
one of the just most disgusting things I've had to get in me. Like I did it because the hospital told me to, and they explained it to me that it would keep me as healthy as I could be. And it would make sure I'd be able to have the transplant. So I did it. Didn't want to do it, but I did it. <laughs> All fun and games. Those drinks you have, um, rather than going on dialysis, I try and avoid dialysis. Like I had it with a low protein diet. I can't remember the names of them again, but there was like a white milkshakey thing and then a, an orange powder drink that was horrible. So they're the modern versions. Um, are they 40 sip? Something like that? I have no idea. I've blocked that out. Yeah, everyone does. Exactly. It's one of those things where every, at least kidney transplant patient, seems to know what you're on about, but we've all blocked it out. <laughs> We're all psychologically <laughs> scarred from these things. But um, yeah, nowadays they're a bit easier. I had some a couple of years ago. They're a bit easier to get down. Like back in the good old days of like 2003, 2004, they were, it was like you just got a cake, but a disgusting cake. Just Mike Tyson just punched it to smithereens, mixed it up a bit and went, here you go, mate. Like, it's not nice. <laughs> just a picture of Mike Tyson punching a cake now. Yeah. Here you go, Ollie. Enjoy. Because <laughs> that's Mike Tyson, apparently. But yeah. <laughs> Oh. So at what point were you and your family told that you need the transplant? Um, I was told from as soon as I could remember um, that I would need a transplant at some point because I uh, I don't know, that, but my pre-transplant consisted of hospital basically every other week. I think the max I got to before transplant was once a month for just you know blood tests, scans, all the normal boring stuff you have as a transplant patient and pre-transplant patient. Um, but my parents were told very quickly that I'd need a transplant. I think it must have been like at four weeks old, I was told. Wow. They were told, sorry, that, yeah, your son's going to need a kidney transplant at some point. We just don't know when we can keep him going for as long as we can. Uh, that sounded very dramatic. I didn't mean it to, but like <laughs> we can keep the kidney going for as long as we can. And then when it looks like he'll need to have a, maybe start dialyzing or have a transplant, we'll have another talk. And that talk came in 2004 when I was eight years old, maybe 2003 when I was seven. Um, I remember that quite clearly. I remember sitting in the consultation room with the surgeon and him explaining to me like, once you've had this, you're going to have a kidney transplant. Once you've had this surgery, um, you'll be able to eat. And that's all I, I don't care. Just tell me that and I'll do whatever I need. That's fine. Like, give me that kidney. I don't care when, I don't care what I've got to do. Tell me what I have to do. Just give me that kidney. As you said, your mum donated it to you. Uh, did it all go smoothly from then on, or for the transplant itself, and then going on afterwards? The, the kidney transplant itself was as smooth as you can imagine, to be honest. Um, I, I've had complications more to do with the bladder, uh, with my bladder, which, you know, I don't mind gossiping about if you want. But um, the actual kidney itself, up until 2014... So a solid 10 years, was doing really well. And then I had some complications, no one's fault, but there was a um, mishap with a nuclear bomb of a antibiotic because uh, I was really unwell. They gave me antibiotics. This antibiotic got into my kidney and basically started dissolving the kidney. Um, and since then, I've kind of been on off, on off. Am I in renal failure? Am I not feeling a bit rough, feeling absolutely fine? You might need to dialyze, you might not, you know, live in that kind of exciting life of what's going to happen next. 
don't know, take it a day at a time kind of thing. But yeah, overall, the transplant went unbelievably smoothly, like scarily smoothly, as in had the transplant, came back round. Uh, obviously, things nowadays are very different. Like back then, it was you were considered to be out of hospital quickly if you were out of hospital after a month, uh, before a month. So with me back in 2004, when I had my transplant, it was very much, my God, you're out of hospital after three weeks. That's really impressive kind of thing um, for a little eight-year-old prednisolone chubby bouncing ball going down the ward kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it went really smoothly. I think the only complication we had was getting my neckline out and that's because I was really awkward and I just, you know, when you're out of something and the nurse tells you to do something, but you do the opposite thing. Yeah, I did that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Not because I wanted to. I'm just a bit slow. <laughs> well, at least I was back then. At I was eight as well. I was eight, exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned your, the bladder complications you had there. And I've mentioned on the podcast before that I had, what, by a comparison to you, what I've listened to in the past, uh, very small bladder complications compared to what you've had. Mine was blocked with blood clots. Do you want to go on and talk a bit about yours? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, do I? I'm glad you asked. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, when I was three weeks old, my my kidneys ruptured. Uh, my left kidney ruptured, severely damaging my right. But obviously, in a three-week-old potato baby thing, that was me, by the way, um, your bladder's right next to your kidneys. So my bladder was pretty badly damaged, to say the least, at the same time. Not bad enough where it needed surgery, but bad enough where, in short, a lot of the nerves are damaged in my bladder. So I, and it's quite a weak bladder now. So like, um, yeah, imagine if the bladder went to the gym to get muscly so you could push out all your urine. Mine doesn't, hates the gym, never has gone to the gym and probably necks a pint a day to deal with life. <laughs> it's not got much muscle to it. It barely has any nerves. It does the job, but because it has to, not because it wants to do its best kind of thing. So the issue I have with my bladder is when I go to the toilet, there's always about 20 mils left, um, which doesn't sound like a lot. But in the grand scheme of things, that's a hell of a lot of urine just to be sitting in your bladder throughout the day. And obviously, like we know with anything stagnant water, it becomes disgusting and it becomes a bit grim and it leads to major urine infections, which then in turn lead to good old ollie being rushed into recess with being septic really unwell okay he might not make it through the night kind of level but let's get this sorted so in 2011 i had uh what's called uh am i chuffing off don't ask me to spell that um <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's a surgery which basically makes a uh stoma it doesn't basically it makes a stoma i now have a stoma um, which is a channel leading from the outside of my body, uh, which is my belly button. They use my belly button. Got my appendix, turned that bad boy inside out, attached it to my bladder, attached it to my belly button. And now every three hours I catheterize after I've peed just to make sure I get all my urine out. And at night, simply because I'm lazy, I attach what I call a piss bag, which is exactly what it says on the tin. It's a bag of piss. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um i now catheterize and i now attach piss bags every night <laughs> <laughs> so do you were you still at school when you first had to do that i was a 
oh, where would I have been in 2011? Uh, I was in high school, yeah. So, yeah, I was still going through the old education system back in back then. How did you cope with catheterising at school? Um, it was that ball ache. I won't lie to you. It was it was difficult. Um, do you want the... Yeah, I'll give you the details. I'll give you the juicy goss. Go on. So I had the surgery, obviously, and it's made. It's quite. It's major surgery. It was considered up there with my transplant. It was like a solid eight-hour operation. Um, in it was one of those things where I had to take huge amounts of time off of school to make sure it was it worked, which was lovely. Um, so when I came back to school, I was trying to balance normal school life, like just trying to get through exams, trying to get through homework, trying to get through school, whilst at the same time so back I don't know if it's the same with anyone but with me I had to basically do a mini course on how to safely self catheterize which is as annoying as annoying as it sounds it was very much going to the hospital now show me wash, let me let me see you wash your hands Ollie let me see you catheterize you've passed the test I'll see you again next week and then I'll do it again and then I'll do it again whilst I'm doing all this teach myself how to catheterize doing the course I'm also trying to pass GCSEs, I think it was at that time, and all the other normal good old stuff of education. So it was a bit, it was stressful, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I think I did well, kind of. Well, you know, I left school with some grades. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was difficult. I mean, I'm like, I was very lucky with my friendship group and my family that they were extremely understanding. Um they did their best to support me. Like my mates were very much like just, and my tutors as well at the time as well. They were brilliant. They were very much like your health is more important. Like you're no use to us if you can't catheterize and we end up having to call you an ambulance. Learn this first, make sure you need to get this sorted, make sure you're safe and healthy, come back to school then or do both and just tell us how we can support you. And they were brilliant. Like no complaints whatsoever from them. Uh, they did their best. I did my best. And here I am recording podcasts. So, <laughs> <laughs> and if, if anyone wants to hear more about your experience with catheterization and mm. all the stuff that goes along with it, then head over to the Professional Patients Podcast, and you've done pretty much a full episode on it, haven't you? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, if you want to, like, you know, feel really uncomfortable about a man talking in depth detail about how he catheterizes and the life of a catheterizing patient, and yeah, you want to feel uncomfortable and squirm a bit, one hundred percent entire episode dedicated to it <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to your sport so your sports yes. experiences what were your experiences with sport before you transplant good again like like i said earlier i i because i didn't know what it felt like to feel um healthy i competed as best i could until i would basically have to sit down or i was unwell um i thought that was completely normal um so to put it into context I used to play a lot of football a lot of hockey but a lot for me would be you know how long was break like half hour you'd have a half hour match during lunch break kind of thing um I'd maybe be able to play 10 minutes and then it would be it's quite hard to describe how tired you would get in renal failure um but the only way I could describe it the best way I can describe it is very much I would play for 10 minutes to the best of my abilities and I would be exhausted not like oh I'm tired need a nap but even if you knocked me out even if Mike Tyson came back after beating a cake he'd come back knock me out I'd still come back round tired <laughs> like 
um it was exhausting um i did my best i did basically every sport i i was allowed to do um i only the only sport i wasn't allowed to do was rugby um just because where the kidneys are it just wasn't safe uh and where i had a lot of my surgery going up it just wasn't safe um but yeah i did my best i enjoyed it more importantly that was sport for me especially before transplant um i did a lot of karate kickboxing as well was my one of the few times where i was able to film normal uh i i know that sounds dramatic but it was very much people wouldn't look at me and see the feeding tube they would see me with the ball or especially in cricket and stuff like that growing up i was actually quite good at it so they wouldn't see the feeding tube they would see crap right ollie he's a left-hander and he's in cricket everyone gets to the other side of the field he's not gonna he's not gonna do a normal smash that ball he's gonna absolutely shatter it like and it was nice it, people would see that side instead of oh he's the medically complicated guy with no kidney or like it was just that they find people would finally treat you as a human instead of a he's a bit odd bless him kind of thing <laughs> i guess the power of sport everyone comes together and you everyone's included there's a lot of inclusive sport going on at the moment and i had class transplant sport in that as well yeah along with the disability sport and yeah paralympics that sort of thing you're just seen as a sports person yeah it's i love it i, I love it <laughs> i think after you transplant how long did it take you to get back to playing sport again um the minimal amount of time i was allowed <laughs> um i think i was quoted <laughs> six months same literally just kidney was absolutely fine everything was absolutely fine it was just simply to i they wanted the scar understandably it's a big old scar fully healed um so as soon as i was given the all clear i went back all of my mates knew i was having that appointment to be given the all clear they were going to go to the football fields after school if I turned up at those fit football fields after school, um, after my appointment, sorry, I was going to play. Uh, and I walked up onto those football fields and it was the first time in my life I was able to play a full 45 minutes without having to have a breather. It was, to, to describe I was happy, I might as well have won the World Cup on <laughs> that day of playing a full 45 minutes. But it was amazing. It was an amazing feeling. I didn't play well, but I was playing for 45 minutes without having to drop out, have a breather, the only reason I needed a breather at one point was because I was just unfit after having major surgery, but it wasn't because I was in renal failure. It wasn't because, you know, I'm about to drop down dead or piss myself kind of thing. It was because I'm just unfit and I've got, you know, a bit of fat to carry around with me at the moment. So let's just slow it down a bit, but a normal reason. It was lovely. Yeah. As basically to answer your question, as soon as I was allowed, I went straight back to sport everything I could find and do, I was doing it. I was the same. It's a, it's a special feeling because um, you you notice that change in energy level and the alertness that you've got to go and play again. I noticed, especially with cricket, I could bowl more than like, I don't know, 20 balls before I start, before I had to go and mm. sit down and have a big drink. Oh, it's a lovely feeling. It's, <laughs> it's hard to describe how good it feels as well to someone who hasn't had it. Um, I haven't managed to describe that that feeling yet to someone who hasn't had a chance one which is why i love competing with other chance on patients and talking to other chance on patients who understand who will just go it's a good feeling in it and then we'll just carry on <laughs> it is lovely let's go on to competing with other transplant patients now table tennis and badminton hmm. you've shown with medals as proof that you're you're very good at when did you first start playing 
<laughs> Apparently I'm all right, or at least I used to be all right, yeah, back in the good old days. Um, so, like I said, I had my transplant in 2004, and it was very soon after my transplant, my uh, specialist nurse um, for me at the time kind of pulled me aside and was like, well, pulled me and my mum aside and was like, hey, there's this thing called the transplant games. Um, would you be interested in taking part with the children's team? And I was a bit like, you know, what the hell is this? Um, and my mum was like, I mean, yeah, you might as well give it a go. It's free kind of thing. You can go along with a team, meet some new people. Um, a couple of mates who are growing up with, uh, like as in genuinely growing up with on the ward and stuff like that were going. Um, they said, it's good fun. Even if you don't compete, you don't have to compete. You don't have to do anything. But um, the, sister, the the nurse who told me all about it said, maybe give, you know, table tennis and badminton a go. It's It's fun. You don't have to win anything. You can just compete, have fun, see if you like it. Uh, and at the end of it, there's a football tournament that we do for a bit of fun and you can compete in that. Um, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go along. So my first ever transplant games was in 2005 in Loughborough and Leicester. Um, the good old days. Pardon me. And I competed in table tennis and I remember... I'd, I'd like I'd maybe played table tennis once before in my life. Like you have to in PE kind of thing. Likewise with badminton, I competed in table tennis and I found, for whatever reason, I was good at it. Like I don't know why. I still to this day don't know what it, it is about table tennis and me. But for whatever reason, I was just finding that whenever I hit that ball, it went exactly where I wanted. I was able to hit all the balls back. I was able to put spin on it. I was able to do all the things that I shouldn't be able to do at that point. And I was enjoying it more importantly. And it wound, I, I found it wound a lot of the other players up who'd been playing for a long time and were playing really, taking it really seriously. I was winding them up by enjoying myself, which made it even more enjoyable for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm one of those guys to play against. Uh, and badminton was a badminton I wasn't as good at. Um, but I enjoyed it because I felt myself getting better at it each time I'd play a different opponent. I felt myself learning from, I didn't get that shot. Okay, I don't know much about the game, but I, little eight-year-old me was like, well, why didn't I reach that? I didn't reach it because I didn't run for it. And then I'd run for the shot and I'd be like, oh, I got it. Okay. So it was like, it was a satisfying thing to slowly improve and get better at. Um, so yeah, 2005, first played table tennis. It was, I was good at it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, and then I kind of, I found a club. Uh, it was a like to to school. Um, I found a club, played, took it a bit more seriously. Not very like still. Just enjoyed it. That was my main thing. It was something I could do most evenings. Um, and then carried on winning medals for a while <laughs> on just an enjoyment stage. Uh, and the same with badminton. To be honest, I did the exact same thing. Did you train regularly for table tennis and badminton? Once you found out you enjoyed it and you were quite good. Um. I so the way I describe it was I didn't really train I just I I did it regularly because I enjoyed it I I didn't take it seriously I didn't uh, go in going I want to get good at this so I can destroy all opponents I went in going I'd like to play this a bit more because I enjoy it um, and I enjoy especially in table tennis I adore the speed you can get in table tennis like if someone's hitting a 30 40 mile per hour shot at me. me phew, like, okay, cool. You think that's a power shot? That's fine, mate. You're just making me more excited. Careful. <laughs> I love that. It's fantastic. 
Um, yeah, no, I did it more for the enjoyment than the actual like training, getting good at it. And then you you took it to the next level. Uh, you were selected to represent <laughs> Team GB in the World Transplant Games. Would you be able to explain a yeah. bit about <laughs> what the process is of being selected for Team GB and how it felt to be told that you're going to go and represent them? I didn't believe them at first. I, I like, hand on heart, I thought it was a prank. Um, I remember, so it was 2008, 2007, 2008, it was around then. Um, and I was just playing table tennis and I was just playing a bit of badminton. Um, I was competing in table tennis at the British Transport Games. And I remember someone came over to me and like very casually, it wasn't a big thing. Uh, after I'd won gold at table tennis that year, came over to me and said, hey, would you be interested in going abroad and competing? And I was like, because it, it was so casual, I was like, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be nice. Like, would I be able to compete against other people um, from different countries? And they were like, yeah, yeah, it'd be, you know, it'd be a big thing. And I'd be like, yeah, cool. No worries. Yeah, I'd be interested. Sure. Why not? What's the worst that can happen? Kind of thing. Um, didn't hear anything for about a year. <laughs> didn't hear, yeah, didn't hear. That was in 2007. Didn't hear anything for about a year. And then I think it was about September 2008 maybe a bit earlier than that um i got in from school and mum was like oh yeah there's a letter waiting for you um it's from uh the transport games federation i was like oh that's a bit odd okay cool open the letter and there in big old bold writing was australia gold coast 2009 world transport games dear mr crawley you would be invited to represent great britain in table tennis and another one of your chosen sports and i was like read it and i reread it and I reread it and I kept rereading it, trying to see if there was any spelling mistakes. Where's the joke? Who could have written this? What funny guys got my hopes up? Handed it to mum and she was like, Ooh, ooh okay, well, do you want to do it? I was like, Yeah, do I want it? Yes, of course. <laughs> what a dumb question. Of course. Um, so I said yes, answered like the early days of sending out the emails. Said yes, um, got an email back going, perfect, uh, this time next month we are going to do a training session for Great Britain, come along, um, you're already part of the team now because you've said yes, come along, start your fundraising, you need a raise, I think it was about eight grand, um, come to the training session, we're going to show you how to properly play table tennis, uh, which hurt a bit because I was like, <laughs> hey, I know, I've won gold medals, what do you mean properly play table tennis? You're talking to the current you know, older, what's this? Uh, but I'm 13 years old at the time and I. everyone's an idiot at 13. And I took that to a new level. I thought I knew it all, knew nothing. I knew nothing. I was Jon Snow. I knew nothing. Um, went to the training sesh, got battered. To say I got destroyed is an understatement. I got picked up, thrown over that. I maybe got two shots back. Um, and they were like, yeah, that's because you don't play properly. Like take it seriously, get your stance sorted. And it was just, you know, small improvements in the game. Um, and that was my moment of, I realized, oh, this is actually a thing. This is, a, this is an entire thing. I am actually representing Great Britain. I am actually wearing a Great Britain training kit. I'm surrounded by players who I've played against at the British games and they were very good, but they are elite. These, these guys and girls like uh so so where the training was it would be the training for the entire team so it wasn't just table tennis and badminton there was the swimming there was the athletics there was, i think there was bowls at the time um it was like a 
big old mix. It used to be over at Loughborough University. Uh, so like the famous sporting venue and all that kind of stuff. And it was, that was my wake up call of, oh crap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I probably have to up my game a bit. Like, um, and I did. And I, I went to Australia in 2009. I think it was the only time in my memory anyway, I've been stressed uh, to compete in table tennis and badminton. It was the only time I was a bit nervous um and without sounding too big-headed i hope i don't come across as arrogant or cocky but i destroyed the opponents <laughs> and i came out with gold <laughs> in table tennis uh and i came out with silver in badminton because my teammate uh to say my teammate is good at badminton is an understatement he like i'm good but he destroyed me and I was so happy to be destroyed by someone else on the same team as me. So I was like, that's fine. You can win this. You can have the gold for badminton. I've already got my table tennis gold. You have your thing, mate. Don't worry about it. It's all good. <laughs> but it was it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, I'd happily do it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did it feel to be up on the podium with your medals? I didn't believe it. Like, I, you're going to hear this a lot, but it was very much like... Um, Okay, I've done it. Now what? What do I do now? Because <laughs> like, it was... Got the buzz. I had the buzz. I was also exhausted because obviously I'm training for... I'm, I'm training in Great Britain weather. So, you know, I'm, I'm used to training in cold. I'm used to training in the rain and good old rubbish British weather. And then I was in the Gold Coast in Australia, which was probably the nicest weather I've ever, ever been in, let alone competed in. And it was it was hot it was so warm and on top of that like i'm having to up my game playing against you know the the chinese international table tennis team um and it was hard work and i was i remember standing on the podium just thinking to myself this is brilliant i'm extremely happy but oh my god i need something to eat and drink soon (laughs) <laughs> that was my main thing i was just like i just need a packet of crisps just give me something please i need a drink and you can see it in some of the photos you can see in my face i'm like please let's get this done like i'm very thankful i'm very i like i've won gold for my country and my nation really need a drink and something to eat right now though <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it must be a special feeling i'm hoping i can go to the british transplant games next year it's been cancelled two years in a row oh yeah but um, yeah, the World Transplant Games would be such an achievement to to even go to. And you've you've smashed it. You got gold in the table tennis. Have you had again since? No, I haven't. <laughs> um, I've been meaning to, <laughs> uh, but through a lot of financial reasons, uh, mainly injury. To be honest, um, I destroyed in two thousand nine. Just before I competed, um, I destroyed all the ligaments. And everything you can imagine in my left knee going for a run. Um, like I couldn't bend my knee. I couldn't do anything. So it was literally only last, about two weeks ago, I was given the all clear after nearly 10 years to go back to training. Like full time, you don't have to worry about anything. You can go back to training. So obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic, so I can't properly, but I've been managing to get back to a bit of basic training, back to my running, uh, found a table tennis club. So I'm going to go back to training for table tennis. Badminton, I'll probably go back to more for a laugh. Um, so, yeah, you never know. I might be going to the next World Games. Depends on how much it is and how much I can race <laughs> that fingers at crossed. the end of the day. But, yeah, fingers crossed. Touch wood. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All the normal stuff, yeah. At a spot you've taken up more recently which I'm interested to find out more about, is indoor bouldering and sport climbing. For those who aren't familiar, yes. would you be able to describe what they are? And is there a difference between the two? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One, um, yes, there is. Yes. So bouldering is uh, you climb up a wall with no rope. And it's very technical. It's a lot more technical. Um, you're very much stand on the, start on the ground and you're looking up and you work out how you're going to get to the top of the wall basically and you've got different levels of difficulty and then sport climbing it's kind of what it is says in the name imagine like kind of the size of the shard for example no it's not that tall it's nothing that tall it's a bigger wall basically (laughs) Uh, and you wear a rope and it's still quite technical but it's a lot more about um, how stubborn are you and how much can you not listen to your body when it's screaming in pain and your arms feel like they're about to fall off and your chest and torso and abs feel like they're about to fall off. How far up that wall can you get? Um, and it's very good to do with a friend who they, uh, you, you have someone that what they call a belayer. So they'll be belaying you, which will be, they'd be the person at the bottom making sure that if you fall, you don't fall and hurt yourself. You fall and you land safely. So it's a good Builds up trust in oh, friendships yeah. quite quickly. <laughs> How did you first get into that? Pure luck. I, um, it was a, it was one of those weird things where I never like I'd heard of bouldering and I'd heard of climbing, um, but I'd just had some surgery 
Uh, and I noticed that my, so I got a lot more scars than just my transplant scars through surgeries over the years, but I noticed I was really beginning to pull them. Um, like I was, re- I was in, basically it was most days I was pulling a scar or something, or I was pulling a muscle in my torso, literally sometimes just getting out of bed. So when I had a, uh, meeting with my nurse, I was talking to her about it and she was like, yeah, that's quite common. You, you need to work your core. You need to get a bit more muscle in your core. Completely understandable. I've got nothing like core muscle. Uh, it's just been shredded. It's all over the place in my torso. Um, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll go to the gym and start doing that. And she was like, yeah, you, you can. Or, you know, um, I myself, as in the nurse was saying, she just started climbing. Like, it's safe for you to give it a go. Um, see if you've got a bulging wall near you down in Southampton. I was at university at the time. So I started climbing and my best mate, just out of the blue, we weren't commute- talking about it. It was like, hey, I'm thinking of starting this thing called bouldering. Would you be interested to come with me when you're back in South London? Um, and it was just one of those things of like, oh, actually, I've literally just gone for my first bouldering session. I'll come with you and show you how it's done. You have to do some basic health and safety, how to land safely and stuff like that. And since then, I've been addicted. <laughs> I can't. It's it's strange. I don't. I never expected myself to be one of those guys who loves climbing. I was never a big climber when I was young. I quite liked having my feet firmly on the ground. But then when I did my first climbing session, I was just addicted. I was constantly, I went home thinking about how I was going to finish this climb that I was stuck on. What am I going to work on? And it was probably within three months I started realizing I'm not pulling anything now. I've actually got some core strength because obviously when you're climbing, you you rely a lot on your core strength Yeah, and it's a good way of working it without having to go to the gym and you know, do your sit-ups and your leg lifts and your Russian curls and all that kind of stuff. It's a it's a lush way of just working and enjoying it at the same time. Um, well, and, I, and I found I was able to incorporate it with a bit of table tennis as well because you really need good, some good footwork with it. So I was able to just get a bit more feel of, okay, this is where my feet are right now. If I were to go in for a table tennis shot, instead of just throwing yourself all over the place, you actually have to slow down and think. Um, yeah, it was just a strange thing of, I don't ex- I didn't expect myself to like it. And I fell in love with it probably within the first 15 minutes of my first training session. And I miss it. That's my main thing I've missed during this lockdown pandemic. <laughs> but yeah, I'm addicted. I love it. I don't know why. I can't describe why. <laughs> Maybe now you can get back to it. For This is going out in a few weeks' time, but for the benefit of the listeners, we're recording this on the 13th of April. So I think, is it just outdoor sports that can resume now? Or is it indoor as well? I think bouldering centres open today. Because um, the thing with bouldering centres is a lot of them are quite big open places. So as long as it's a controlled environment, I think they're being treated like a pub or something like that. So as long as you go and safely do the COVID restrictions, they're open. But um, I was talking to my hospital and they were like, yeah, give it three weeks. Because uh, I had my second jab yesterday. No, I didn't. I had my second jab on Saturday, sorry. Uh, so they're like, give it three weeks and then you can go from there. So I'm counting down. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I've got a countdown and a half right now. It's, it just feel nice to get back to sport. I've been I've been doing a bit of cricket recently, getting back into that again after almost a year off. I've had my mm. first jab. My second one is due. This is really only going to be for the benefit of you by the time this goes out. Uh, but my next yeah. one is due next Wednesday. Um, but I've been able to stay outside and keep distance. So it's all been good so far. Oh, it's nice. It is nice to get out. I went into London for the first time 
on Monday on sorry sorry on Sunday, and it was lovely. I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, back up to the um, the bouldering climbing. You mentioned that it's good for for your core workout. Do you do any sort of gym work to supplement it? Yeah, I do. To be honest, it was because of bouldering that I actually started going to the gym. Um, <laughs> so I'm very much the way I work with my workouts um, and just general health and stuff is I need a goal. I need I need a reason. Um, I'm not one of those guys that can do it just for... I, I do enjoy working out. I do enjoy going for my run and stuff like that. But I find I put more oomph into it, if you will, when I have a reason to do it. So I found when I was bouldering, it would be stuff like, oh, I'm just a bit too weak to do that climb. Okay, where am I a bit too weak? Right, it's my it's my arms. My arms are just a bit too weak to do that final pull onto the top. Um, right, what can I do about Well, okay, there's a gym literally next door to the climbing gym. Go to the gym. So I'd work my arms, and then I realised, actually, I quite this feels quite good. Oh, this this feels all right like I'm get I'm losing a lot of weight whilst doing this and I'm getting healthier and going back to the hospital my blood levels are getting better so I'm obviously doing something right here carried on and then like everything if you do it a lot it just becomes habit so I kind of I'm very much of like wise with table tennis where it'd be like okay why is my swing horrific well I haven't got the quiet haven't got the strength in my ribs or my hips to get that swing into my power Right, guess what? I'm working tomorrow in the gym. I'm working ribs and hips like, and probably my ass as well because I haven't got much of one, so it'd be nice to get something onto that. But yeah. What what are your plans going forward, climbing-wise, other than just getting back to it now? Have you got any uh, any sort of specific uh, hills or rocks you want to do a bit of go outside, maybe? Oh, 100%. Yeah, that, that's my main thing. So I was supposed to, um, I was supposed to do a Europe chore a climbing Europe tour hit Spain, France, uh, and Portugal. Um, but because I've only ever done indoor climbing, you have to do a bit of a bit of a, well, I'd, I'd like to do a bit of a course for outdoor climbing just to make sure. Cause the thing with outdoor climbing is, and climbing as a whole is if you're not a safe climber, it's not just yourself. You're putting at risk. You're putting the others around you at risk. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm quite a caring guy. Um, so I want to do my next thing for climbing is I'm going to get signed off so I can do outdoor climbing, uh, any kind of ropes climbing. So then I think me and my mate are thinking of popping out probably up north, do a bit of climbing up north. There's a lot of good stuff around Sheffield. So pop up there, have a couple of drinks and get climbing. <laughs> That's my personal plan. And then probably go up a level in climbing as well, like slowly re get back into it, get my strength back and then, um, Go from there, really, and get back into table tennis. <laughs> Sounds good. I mean, hopefully, I mean, we've had this year off, Bob. Has it been a, yeah. more than that now? A year, more than a year off from sport. And it, we we said already, it does feel good to get back and get going again. Aching, but good yeah. to get back. Mate, I went for a run, my first run, like last month, and I was, I did one and a half K, and I was, oh my God, I thought I was back into renal failure with how how tired I was after that run. I was knackered. I was exhausted. I was like, just Darth Vader, <laughs> Oliver left the house. Darth Vader came back into the house. It was a nightmare, but <laughs> it was nice to be able to do it again safely as well. Yeah. That's the main thing at the moment, especially. And another spot you do is uh transplant safe boxing. You described it as to me. 
Is that mainly sort of pad <laughs> and technique work? Um, so I'm just going to come up. So boxing as a whole for a kidney transplant patient isn't safe. Uh, I'm just going to cover my ass by saying that. <laughs> I'm sure you'll understand. Oh, yeah. But with the club that I joined in, so I originally joined um, as a mix of a mental health thing and just I wanted extra fitness. Um, I just wanted that extra thing that wasn't just going to the gym. I'm very much like when I go to the gym, I like going with someone. Um, I'm, I'm one of those kind of guys. Like I'll happily go by myself, but it's just nicer doing things with a mate or with a group of people who have similar minds and similar interests as you. So my mate was doing this boxing club. I went with him uh, and he had prior medical conditions as well. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll turn up and I'll chat to the guy. I'll, I'll chat to the coach, as he was called. And um, he was amazing. He was so, so good. Uh, he was like, we'll start you with the basics. We'll give you a couple of drills. We'll give you a bit of pad work. Um, and I found that I was actually really good at it because I used to do so much kickboxing back in my, like when I was six, seven, eight. I think I did kickboxing from when I was six years old to about 12, 13 years old. Um, and I found I was really good at it. And he was like, try sparring. Like, let's give it a go. Uh, and I was honest, I was like, it's not safe for me to spar. Like, if I get, especially at that level, like, it's a big difference between sparring as a kid and sparring as an adult. Yeah. An adult 100% will knock your head clean off. <laughs> or, you know, he will punch, he won't punch your stomach. He will go through you. Like, they, these guys are strong. And these, these these women are strong as well um, that I was sparring with. Uh, and I was honest with it, like, the sparring partner came in uh well, I had one ring everyone the club I went to I was really nervous everyone watches you whilst you're sparring and gives you advice um so it was quite nice to be honest but I was honest with him I was like I can't take any hits to the stomach I just can't like it's not that like you'll wind me and hurt me and I'm embarrassed it's I've got a kidney there if it bursts you're gonna see me probably dying on this mat um I was expecting that be an issue he was like okay cool no stomach hits easy nothing no stomach hits whatsoever. I'm going to pick you up against the really good people, um, the really good lads and lasses who have been boxing for years. I tell them not to go near your stomach. They are not going anywhere near your stomach. They'll hit you on the chest. They'll hit you on the arms. They hit you on the face and the head. Um, and that's what I did. <laughs> I didn't take any hits to the stomach. Um, I took hits to the chest and to the head. Um, and I loved it. It was really nice going into a brand new club who instantly... They didn't make a big thing out of it. Uh, it sounds bad by saying they didn't care. They did care. But it was very nice of them just going, right, this is Ollie. Don't give... Literally, all he said was like, this is Ollie. Don't hit him in the stomach. It's medically complicated there. He's had a kidney transplant. Go. That was it. That's all they needed. They didn't care. Straight into it. I thought they'd try slowly. I maybe lasted 30 seconds into the first round. I was on the floor. They didn't care. And I loved it. I was addicted. So I did that for about three years. Um, and then the pandemic hit <laughs> and I graduated uni, moved back to South London. And here we are. If I can find a club that does the same thing, then hundred percent, I'll go straight back in. Um, cause I loved it. It was mostly that camaraderie. I don't know if you've ever done boxing or anything, but, no. um, you have this Taekwondo. thing in a boxing club where, oh yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah, it's, I assume you're sparring Taekwondo as well. But you get that thing where with the club you're in, yes, you hit each other and you hurt each other, but it's a very much like a mutual respect of 
mate, since last week you've improved so much or you need to work on this. It's not like, yeah, maybe they'll take the mick out of you, they'll have a bit of banter, but at the end of the day, they just want you to improve as well, like you want them to improve. So it was just like a really nice family feeling. Um, who It was a really nice family feeling who, you know, beat the crap out of you and uh, do it for the best of you, do, do, it, do it for your greater good kind of thing. Like... <laughs> And it also it sounds like there was also a, a feeling of um being one I don't I don't like using the word normal, but being in there with other people without medical conditions and just being seen as the same being able to do what they're doing with slight adaptations, but being able to do what they do. And I've got to say to yeah. cover my own back, uh Taekwondo was um it was about twelve or thirteen years ago. Uh I didn't have a transplant then. Yeah. <laughs> exactly but a lot a lot of places tend to be even if you have like wanted to go back into it now people are very understanding nowadays they don't care like, in a in a in a good way in a nice way they they don't care they'll do their best to change and then it's down to you as a transplant recipient to is this safe enough is this not safe enough make your own decision we're in charge of our own health <laughs> like you know but yeah no i i know what you mean cover your ass it's good <laughs> <laughs> did you wear any protection over your kidney i did yeah so so yeah i probably should have mentioned that that that's quite an important bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry um yeah so my dad made me a basically he got some fiberglass um molded the fiberglass to go around my torso and kidney sewed it into some I'll tell you what, if you want to see a man look bad in cycling shorts, I've got some pictures. <laughs> um, sewed it into some cycling shorts. And it was like, especially during kickboxing as well. That was the only reason I was able to carry on doing kickboxing. Because um, with kickboxing, it's a bit harder to say no to getting kicked in the stomach just because at that age, well, sorry, I'll rephrase that. At that age, it's a bit harder because there's no one who's been doing it for years, so they're not quite good enough to control where they hit, which is why I stopped doing it when I hit 13, because it was just getting a bit too dangerous. Like, I'm getting kicks, and they've got the power to do damage, but they're still not accurate enough, so let's stop this. Um, but yeah, when I when I went to boxing, um, I wore it just in case, uh, just because it'll be like, sword's law, the one time I don't wear it will be the one time I take a hit. Um, so I wore that religiously. Like, people would take the mick, but... I, I, I didn't care. Like, it was nice taking the mic. It was a bit of banter, but it was like, I, I don't care. I'd rather have this bad boy here. And then on top of that, I wore my old, um, so like with boxing, you get the uh, the, the groin, like you do with cricket. Yeah. yeah, you get the old groin protector. But with boxing, I got like quite an expensive one where it would cover the groin and then also cover the bladder and where my kidney was, thankfully. Um, so I would wear... My shield, I call, it, I call it my shield under that and then that over it. So I basically had like solid two thick layers of protection between a potential accidental glove going down there and my kidney. <laughs> so yeah, I was I was like a rubbish Iron Man. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kidney protection is something we talk about a lot on this podcast and something that I, I've been trying to find all sorts of different things to wear, especially for cricket. I did wear a boxing groin guard for a bit. Didn't really get on with it. I'd have him wearing a chest guard. And speaking of shields, as you called it, I recently entered a competition with Hero Key Protection, 
along with the World Transplant Games Federation, which I think I might have mentioned to you when we had a chat before. Yeah. Um, and I won. So oh, Hero Key Protection are very kindly sending me uh, their new kidney shield to try yeah. out and review, which I really hope is a way for... It is specialist transplanted kidney protector. The guy who, uh, who set it up is a transplant recipient himself. Um, I don't have a discount code for you like I do with the Neon Cricket stuff. Uh, the World Transplant Games, <laughs> by the time this goes out, may still have one out there. Uh, but if you have a look on their Instagram, Hero Key Protection, that's Hero K-I Protection, um, you'll be able to see more on that. And I'll be doing a review on it for them, um, which will be, be written down eventually. But if you go over to my Instagram, at Lewis underscore Daniels 25, and the Transplant Take On Sport Instagram, at Transplant Take On Sport Pod, uh, you should be able to see more of what I think of it and how I get on with it on there. Fingers crossed it all works. I can work for cricket because it does look like a game changer, as I've said on Instagram before. I was going to say, you've got to tell me all that's like. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely send you it. Uh, if anyone wanted any cricket gear, I know it's not a cricket-related podcast, but they also do some gym wear, some general fitness clothing, uh, neoncricket.co.uk. And if you use the code LEWISD25, you'll get 25% off everything. They are running a bit low on stock. and I realise this is going out in about three weeks' time, uh, so hopefully they're still in by then. <laughs> Uh, Ollie, we've had some, <laughs> we've had some list of questions in for you. Um, I asked out on Instagram. Which, oh, now I'm nervous. Don't worry, they're all <laughs> they're all fine. They're all about you, so they're okay. Oh, okay. Uh, we asked on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Instagram and Facebook are at Transplants Take On Sport Pod, and Twitter is at TTOS Pod. So, if you'd like to get any questions in for future episodes and hear who the guests are before they're on, uh, go over and follow on there. There'll be a post out the day before we record, and you can get in touch, get your questions asked, and you've got a chance to feature on the podcast. So the first one came in from Matt, and he said, if you couldn't play table tennis or badminton again, and I'm going to add bouldering, climbing, boxing into that as well, uh, what sport would you play and why? Oh, no. Oh, that's a horrible thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> what would I do? What would I play instead? Uh, I'd probably play a bit of cricket and swimming. Cricket because I don't think people realise how technical cricket can be. Like a lot of people who don't understand cricket watch cricket and go, "Well, you're just throwing a ball and then you hit the ball." Now, nah, mate, there's so much more to that. Like I played it for yeah. maybe a year. Um, yeah, I'd I'd make sure I was a batsman. I'm to say I'm bad at bowling, mate. Like you play cricket, so you know what it's like. I am horrific. <laughs> I am a horrific bowler. So I'd I'd probably be make sure I'm an outfield player and a and a batsman. I did enjoy that actually. I enjoyed like calculating where the ball was going to go, depending on who was bowling against me. What they doing? They doing fast? They're going to add a bit of spin. I did really enjoy that back in the day. So I'd probably do cricket and swimming. Hey, it's just an excuse to go for a swim, isn't it? I love swimming. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> and the second question that came in was from from Ruben, your fellow co-host. Oh, good old Rubes! What a beauty! What a snack! What a man! <laughs> and he says, "How do you manage keeping your energy levels up and training whilst going through kidney rejection?" Oh, bugger! Yeah, okay. Uh, good question. Um, yeah, so I had a bit of kidney rejection, a bit being a lot, uh, about three years ago now. Um, and me being me was extremely stubborn, like painfully stubborn. Um, 
and carried on training throughout it. And it was simply, I would just change the amount I could do depending how I felt. I took it a day by day. Um, my workouts have always been alternate days, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, and then I'll take the Saturdays off. And I was just honest to myself. If there were some days where I couldn't do anything, I I can't beat myself up about that. Like, yeah, I, I feel a bit rubbish. Like you always do, like if you miss like cricket training, for example, because you feel unwell, you, you might beat yourself up a bit, or at least I do if I miss stuff. But I got into a good mindset of like, no, I can't do that. This isn't my fault. This is something that isn't my fault. I'm in a bit of rejection because of uh, a miscommunication amongst the doctor. That's no one's fault. I was really unwell. It is what it is. Let's just do what I can. Um, so that's what I did. I took everything day by day and accepted the fact that if I can't do any training, I can't do any training. That's what it is. And when I was training, I was really strict with myself. Uh, normally, if I'm training, I'll, I'll push myself as far as I can go. But it would very much be like, okay, I've only managed 10 minutes. Well, that's better than not doing anything today, Ollie. Well done. Pat on the head. Let's carry on going kind of thing. And let's go home safely. Um, but yeah, it's mostly just listening to yourself, listening to your own body with me, my kidney. Uh, and basically just going, all right, my kidney is actually screaming at me to stop. I should probably listen. <laughs> Yeah, spot on, spot on. I agree with you. I haven't been through kidney rejection myself, but I'll flip it a bit and talk about energy levels through kidney failure, which as well you'll have been through. And again, I agree with you there. Just manage it, manage mm. your body. I, I'm not a medical professional, but manage your own body, yeah. know your limits. And for me, my energy levels, originally my way of keeping them up was a lot of water and uh, a mm. banana, which I was then told to not <laughs> eat them. Uh, so ask your doctor first and um, cereal yeah. bars, <laughs> breakfast biscuits, various brands. Uh, and it, again, it, you've said, know your body, train to your limits, be strict with yourself. I think if you're part of a club, especially as long as you've got supportive teammates, uh, coaches, captains, which thankfully I had through cricket hmm. that can manage your levels and you can talk to them about how much you can and can't do manage your workload. And it just it helps. And I was, I've managed that well and the club I'm with credit yeah. to them managed it very well as well. And I was able to play cricket. I think it was eight days before my transplant, not to the same level that I'd like to. Yeah. And with a bit of um, more resting, less bowling and fielding in positions that may require less running. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, yeah. Know, your, know your body. You were still able to play. That's impressive. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, thanks to Matt and Ruben for sending in the questions. And speaking of Ruben, uh, the two of you host a podcast together called the Professional Patients Podcast. For anyone who hasn't listened, yes, how would you describe it? As a podcast, Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it is a podcast run by, like you said. Sorry, I'm just repeating you here. Me and Ruben, uh, we are two kidney transplant patients. Uh, who we've both been doing this all our lives. So I, I won't say Rube's age. I'm not going to talk on his behalf, but I'm 25. I've been doing this for 25 years now. And um, we found through our own experiences, not through others, that I was the consultants and the nurses are brilliant. They, like At least in my experience, they've been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But growing up, there's always those potentially awkward questions you're not 100 percent sure can you ask your consultant can you ask your nurse uh and i like you know stuff like sex and catheterizing and potentially private stuff um 
I found out all that information through asking other transplant mates. And I found as I was growing older, there were younger transplant patients asking me those questions and I was giving them the same information that I was told and then et cetera, et cetera. So we found, well, why don't we do a podcast about this? Why don't we do a podcast on uh, what life is like, what life is actually realistically like as a transplant male? Um, one who catheterizes, one who has dialyzed, being Ruben. Because um, there's so many misconceptions. There's so many, it's all over the gaff about what people think a transplant is. So we figured, sort it, let's just actually just talk about our stuff and have a chat. Um, a very relaxed chat. We're just doing mates who know each other very well. Both act like idiots on the podcast, but we get the information across. So yeah, if you want to know what it's really like to have a transplant, the downs and the ups and the, all the good stuff in between, give it a listen. It's good fun. <laughs> it's a brilliant listen. And the, the camaraderie between the two of you works really well. Good dynamic. And I think your attitudes on it are spot on. The way it's very, oh, very you. calm, very casual. So yeah, please go and listen. Where can people find it? Oh, that's a point. That's a good question. Rubes normally does this bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now you can find the professional patients on Spotify. You can find us on Apple uh, at the professional patients on Instagram. Um, our DMs are always open. Not like that, but like if you've got any, if you're a new transplant patient, if you're waiting to have a transplant. Uh, if you've got any you know, potential questions, um, I, we're, we're very aware it's two guys uh, doing it. So we do have some female transplant guests coming up just so we can get, obviously, not all transplant patients are male. There's a lot of females out there who will also have their own questions and their own worries that maybe they don't feel like they can ask uh, their doctors, nurses or their parents or whatever. So, you know, give us a question. Give us, you know, if you want to reach out to us, go for it. If we can't answer, I can guarantee I'll know someone who can, who will happy help. <laughs> We're basically open, ready. Give us a shout. We got you. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And have a listen. Have a laugh as well. You might learn something. And what are your goals for the future with it? Where do you want to take it? I personally, as far as it can go. Like, we really enjoy doing it, to be honest. Um, We're not like, yeah, you know, if we make some money from it, we make some money for it. But overall, we just want... Me, like, yeah, Rubes as well, but I don't like talking on his behalf. But we just want people to understand what it's actually like to have a transplant. I, I personally get really wound up by transplants on TV. I've never seen a realistic transplant on TV. I'm sorry, a transplant does not fix you. There are still complications after it. You still have to take medication. You still have to have hospital appointments. You still got to look after yourself. It's not a miracle cure. And you probably will have more than one transplant in your life. It sucks. But there's a lot of good that comes with it. So we, we we do make sure that each episode, like we try and balance that out. Like There's a lot of crap that comes with it, but we balance it out. And in the long term, more guests, more episodes. We've got a couple of things planned that I can't tell you about just yet, but we've got more things than just the podcast planned. Um, yeah, we've got some exciting stuff planned to be honest. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a laugh. It's going to be great. <laughs> Sounds exciting. And I'm glad you said what you've said there not being this miracle cure and how it might be inaccurate on TV. I personally haven't seen any on TV, but yeah, a common misconception I would say is that once we've had a transplant, we're cured. In reality, we're not. We're going through it constantly living with this every day to make sure that transplant keeps working. There's tablets, uh, making smart choices for the lifestyle, 
attending your appointments, having your bloods done, understanding your body. Uh, and yeah, people yeah. That, like the age we are, I'm 22, you've said you're 25, probably will need another transplant at some point. Yeah, I'm, I've been told I'll probably need another transplant within the next five years. So I'm slowly getting ready for that. All good fun. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. And everyone, please go and check out the Professional Patients podcast. It is really good to listen to. Uh, and I think people will alert a lot from your attitude on transplants today, the way you, you're, mm. you're quite relaxed about it, but you do take it seriously as well. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. A compliment. <laughs> Yay. Um, yeah. Yeah. We like to be relaxed about it. I don't see the point in... Okay. So, so can I add one final time? Have we got time? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. No, we we like to with the podcast. If you're a transplant patient, well, yeah, such as yourself, you know full well what it's like to sit in that, to no fault of their own, that hospital consultant room and how serious the chats can be you don't like don't want to listen to a podcast of two guys having a serious chat about that yo you want to like come join us have a cup of tea or a beer with us and join and listen it's it's nice it's relaxing it's chilled like yours this has been lovely thank you for putting up with me by the way it's been (laughs) lovely (laughs) we'll finish on one more question before we go and it's the one i ask everyone who comes on What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant? As in they're about to have a transplant? Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't, although you might want to, although you might feel absolutely horrific, don't push your mates and family away. Like, do your best just to be open and honest with them. If you're feeling horrible, tell them. Um, don't, don't keep them guessing. Uh, and if you're a mate or family member who is doing their best to support someone who's getting ready to have a transplant or just had their transplant or going through a rough period with their transplant, be yourself. Don't start treating them differently. Don't start magically prince- treating them like a princess or a king or a prince or whatever. If you take the piss out of them, normally carry on taking the piss out of them unless they say otherwise. Like If they're having a rough day, maybe they don't want that. But just, just because we've had a transplant or just because we're waiting for a transplant doesn't mean we should be treated any different. Like if I crack a joke and it's out of order, I want someone to tell me that I've cracked a joke and it's out of order. Don't start looking at me going, oh, he's had a transplant. We'll let him have it. No, no, tell me. <laughs> and it's the same with everyone else. We just want to be treated the same as everyone else. We've just got some extra complications we need to worry about that others might not have. We're still human at the end of the day. So yeah, be open, be honest, look after yourself and especially like mental health plummets around transplant, going up to a transplant, talk about it, be open. If you need help, don't be embarrassed to turn around and get that help. It's just as important to look after your mental health as physical health with a transplant. I think you're spot on there. Uh, Great advice. I completely agree Mm. with you. Ollie, thanks again for coming on. It's been great to talk to you today. Oh, thank you. No worries. And listeners, if you're enjoying the podcast, Please make sure you go and subscribe, follow wherever you normally listen, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, Deezer, uh, Acast, or even my website. It's on there as well. And if you're not enjoying it, why not tell your friends who did anyway? Because we'll take them. They can come on and have a listen. <laughs> they might enjoy it if you didn't. Another, I'm going to be cheeky again here. I've never asked it before, but as we're starting to get out of these restrictions and we're coming towards the summer months, you might get to see your family more closely again. If there's somebody who's got a phone, a tablet, any sort of device where you can get a podcast app, but they don't know what a podcast is, why not get the phone when they're not looking? Download a podcast app. Go on to their search for Transplants Take on Sport. 
click subscribe, click follow. That'll get the downloads up and get more listens in. And if you're feeling really cheeky, really crazy, just press five stars on the review and that'll help it push it up and more people can discover <laughs> us on Apple Podcasts. I love that. No, that's good. It's not cheeky. It's worth a what? It's worth a listen. Your podcast is brilliant. It's really good. Give it a listen. From the professional patient side as well, just give it a listen. Give it five stars. It's fantastic. <laughs> do, it, do it for both. Download it both. Get the five stars in there. And if you do rate it five stars on Apple and give it a review as well, uh, I'll give it a read at the end of the podcast in this little bit that I do at the end. I've mentioned it before. If you'd like to follow on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Transplants Take on Sport Pod and Twitter at TTOS Pod. Thank you once again to my guest today, Ollie Crawley. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transplants Take on Sport. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.